Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome again to For Our Future. I am your host, Selena Gentry, Media Lab Technician for the COD Radio, TV, and Media Department. And with me, as always, is my co-host... Prema Walker. I am the founder of Prema's Permaculture and Composting and a hardcore composter. And today we're very excited because we have a special guest and COD alumni who is working on a very special Salton Sea project, Yasuko Smith, who's also hard at work today on composting with Prema over at the McCarthy Child Development Center here on the COD main campus. Yasuko, can you give us an overview of what it is that you're working on at the Salton Sea? Hi, yes. Basically, we're studying the soil there at the Salton Sea. We started off in the summer of 2022. We actually got through a CubeSat satellite project with NASA and the National Science Foundation, and it was being hosted by MESA, the Math Engineering Science Achievement Center here at College of the Desert. And that's basically how it started. We built a CubeSat satellite flew it over the Salton Sea, collected data from it. Mm -hmm. And from that data, we took the time to analyze it and what it meant to the health effects to the community around the area and what it meant for the Salton Sea in general as far as the air quality goes. And then from there, I took the project to the next, kind of like the next level. It was became a passion project to me because once I realized that the air quality around the Salton Sea is toxic. It's very unhealthy. All of the chemicals and dust that gets put in from the agricultural runoff goes into the Salton Sea. It gets sequestered there. And then eventually, now that the sea is evaporating, a lot of the dust that gets blown off in our seasonal winds basically affects the communities around the Salton Sea. Schools, basically. They're elementary schools, they're middle schools. They have days where when the air quality is too um, unhealthy for the children, Mm -hmm. they're considered red flag days, and then they have to go inside and during recess, and they can't play outside. Because what ends up happening is they get bloody noses, headaches. A lot of the children around the community have asthma Um, lifelong asthma problems. Mm -hmm. I mean, this isn't just a problem that, oh, it's stinky, it smells bad. It's actually affecting the health around the community. And it's not just going to be affecting the communities around the Salton Sea. It's actually going to get worse. It's going to affect Southern California, the rest of the Coachella Valley, because we, as we know here, our seasonal winds don't just blow from one town to the next Mm -hmm. it continues on and it goes off through the rest of california so eventually once the salton sea is evaporated all of the ddt all of the heavy metals that were once sequestered by the water are actually going to be free flowing and affecting everyone in the communities wow that is so that's so amazing and so like The reason why we want to talk about the Salton Sea today is because today's main topic is water. Water. We also want to begin by talking about the cycle of water, um, which historically began as ice when, you know, Earth was in a state of ice age. And then um, this ice either 
melts or is evaporated and becomes steam, right, which becomes clouds that are holding water. And then it starts to rain and the rain either, you know, falls back down to the ground and gets absorbed as groundwater um, or also then, you know, forms back into um, the ice again, which then melts, evaporates, and then the cycle continues. And oceans have a major role in this all Mm -hmm. ocean currents and ocean water uh, providing this is like an interconnected process with all the water bodies you know if you're thinking about water cycle it's not just the river it's not just the snow on the mountain the ocean the runoff the you know groundwater that we don't see that's flowing under our feet so there are so many things that are in sync in water cycle Right. So in our previous episode, we spoke with Professor Leuschner, the Conservation of Natural Resources professor here at the College of the Desert. And the episode ended in a conversation about water where Prema was telling about what her grandfather had to do in order to obtain their family's daily water. Mm-hmm. So in uh, rest of the year, like we have six seasons in India and summer is the most like brutal one where you will have a tiny canal behind your home growing up. Uh, We used to have that. And when the big companies coming in and they started regulating water, even during winter uh, season, that canal dries up. But summer is the worst where my grandfather has to walk like two miles or one and a half mile one way to just water for us to drink. Mm-hmm. Forget about shower, forget about like cleaning, plant, you know, watering your lawn or anything. It's more about drinking because it's not only humans. We have, you know, chickens, we have animals that depended on the family. So that water is so precious because it's not like you can just walk and get or turn on the tap and get water. You got to walk like two miles and I won't be able to do that. You know, my grandfather, I'm like a tiny baby and I won't be doing that. So mm-hmm. we are like a reuse, repurpose the water as many times as possible till we have another load of water in the house. And how did he carry it? Um, there is a um, bamboo strip. It, it's like if you're looking at a world um, balance scale mm-hmm. where you put weight on one side and you measure the uh, material. So it's like a long wooden strip that he holds it on his shoulder and you will hang mm, some weaved thread with it. Like, oh my goodness. And you put like copper containers. We call mm-hmm. them as like copper, uh, they're copper vessels and they hold like, I don't know, maybe... 10 or 5 gallons of water in each one or 10 gallons of water depending on the size and everything Mm -hmm. so and you have to go back and forth back and forth to fill the tub or the concrete vessel that we fill water with Mm -hmm. so I know that my grandmother who she was born in 1918 and she she passed away in uh, 2013 but she used to tell us that you know she grew up a very dirt poor in a Mexican family in San Benito, Texas. So this was here in the U.S. And um, she used to tell me that she was sent to not a river, but it was more like a canal. Mm -hmm. Um, And they they called it uh, Resaca. And I think it's still there in San Benito, Texas. It was was over a mile away from where she lived. And um, they would send her by foot by herself and she would walk barefooted they were so poor um you know the little girls usually usually didn't get shoes until they started doing like their around first communion 
you know, around that age. Um, uh, and, uh, they, and they wouldn't buy them shoes either. They would, like, make them shoes back then. And so the little kids would make fun of her because she was barefooted. She would go all that way with no shoes. And she didn't even have, like, a proper bucket. They would mm-hmm. give her a very large coffee can hmm. that she had to carry down to this resaca. And then they used to wear long skirts. So she had to kind of, like, you know, get, you know, about it, like, probably, like, knee-deep. Mm-hmm. And make sure her skirt didn't get wet so that she could go a little bit more to the center of this and, like, try to fill it up where the water was flowing a little okay. bit better so she wouldn't get leaves and debris in it. Um, and then she would have to carry it back. And there would be mean little boys that would come by sometimes. You know, she tells there would be mean little boys that come by with a handful of dirt mm-hmm. and put dirt in her water can on her way home. And if they did that... She had to turn around and go all the way back. and mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, it was just that, uh, you know, thinking about how she used to do that, but even still to this modern day and age, we have these problems that are perpetuating. And it seems as though um, there's a lot of people who take advantage of yeah. the poor. You know, this is a problem with people who are impoverished and um it seems like there's people who want to poke fun at that instead of coming together and really trying to help people improve their challenges and their situations. Um, so we're aware that this is still happening um, here in the Coachella Valley, even mm-hmm. in, in mostly in the eastern parts of the valley where people are living in trailer parks, like where Yasuko's uh, working over near the Salton Sea, where people aren't receiving access to water that's in a clean healthy state uh you know just as part of their daily needs for drinking water and sanitation and i know Primo was saying uh, when we were talking about statistics and looking into our you know doing our research for this episode water is a 302 billion dollar industry is that correct just bottled water um, in containers. Like we have fancy water right now. It's just not water anymore. You know, it's mm-hmm. like an energy drink. It's sparkling water. Oh right. Mm-hmm. So all those things together, bottled water globally is three hundred and two billion dollar industry. And so here in our Coachella Valley, though specifically, our water comes from an underground aquifer. And uh, I know last week also Professor Leuschner was telling us that it's not balanced as far as what goes into it versus what we're taking out of it. So we know it's depleting. And then on top of that, we have problems with pollution. Mm -hmm. So water pollution, we define as what exactly? What what makes the water polluted? I would say um, heavy pesticides. Um, The majority of our water pollution here in the Coachella Valley is mostly, I would say, all agricultural pollution. We have 50 agricultural channels that feed into the Salton Sea. And since 2017, that's the only source of water that the Salton Sea is receiving and will ever receive because we're looking at a waterless future. There are no plans to implement water back into the Salton Sea they're basically going to let it dry out. So since 2017, it's just continually evaporating with the only source being agricultural runoff, which is pesticides, fertilizers, and a lot of other things that we generally do not Mm -hmm. consider to be healthy for ourselves or for the environment. When I came in here and talked about salt and sea, 
I heard that it's man-made. Yes, actually, okay, so in ancient times, there was water runoff from the Colorado River that used to run off. Over time, the water has been diverted. A lot of the Colorado River has been diverted to major cities and stuff. And one of the things that ended up happening was uh, basically civil engineering failure. So a dam that was put into place to divert some of that water and to hold it back broke in 1905, and it basically just released tons of water and all of that water because it was being held back for a period just flooded the Coachella Valley and just kind of went into the Salton Sea area and formed the Salton Sea that we know of well the shadow of the Salton Sea that we know of today and I I know um in its heyday the Salton Sea was like the big resort area where all the celebrities would go and Mm. that was the that was the place. There was like a yacht club and mm-hmm. anybody who was everybody in TV, movies. You'd see all these pictures of famous people boating on the Salton Sea and they would stock it with marlin for sport fishing. And like that was the place to be. And I, it makes me wonder how did they get to a point where they let such a wonderful place go to such well. Ruin? Um, what ended up happening is there were seasonal like storms occurring. And so when it ended up happening is a lot of the resorts that were on the far end of the Salton Sea actually got destroyed. So a lot of them had to shut down. And because Mm -hmm. the costs were too high to renew a lot of these resorts, the whole industry just kind of started to decline because they figured... Well, if this bad storm could take out all of these resorts at one time, maybe we shouldn't put more money into it. And that was like the beginning of the decline of that whole salt sea boom era. When we are talking about pollution, pesticides, fertilizers, those are all like man-made. Do we have any natural things that occurs in the Coachella Valley Uh, Because of it's a desert, we have San Andreas fault line, which means the earth moves under us all the time. So are there any natural pollutants that are bleeding into salt and sea or in our water system? Mm, That would be the new lithium. Well, it's not new, but now that they're going to be doing uh, more extensive lithium mining, that would be, in my opinion, a risk. So in general, we have some minerals and metals that are in our soil. Oh, yeah. There are naturally occurring minerals and stuff like that that's very abundant in the salt sea. Mm -hmm. So speaking of metals, I know you also wanted to talk about chromium-6. Yes. Which was, for people who are like, oh, what is that? Chromium-6 was made, known through the film Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, that's a really interesting film I watched because at one point I'm so hooked up with PBS and watching some historic events that happened in America that shaped some of the communities and how these communities are built. And water is like my, I would say, my strong uh, area where I want to learn more about water because it can save your life and it can take your life. Mm. I've been in those both mm-hmm. positions like, you know, where water is life, you know, as we are saying, soil is life. Water also plays an important role. And in that Erin Brockovich movie, they're talking about chromium-6. So basically, water has many kind of minerals and metals and chromium is one of them. Uh, and chromium has two distinguishers. I think, I don't know whether it has several or only two. It's chromium-3 and chromium-6. 
Mm-hmm. Chromium-3 is generally good for a human body to consume at moderate level, but chromium-6 is toxic to human body. And unfortunately, because the way the Coachella Valley like got into its what we are right now and of the geological modifications happened, we have deposits of chromium-6 in our underground water, which means the dr- water we are drinking have certain level of chromium-6. I found an interesting article on PBS channel and the uh, person who wrote that article is Chris Clark. He's a private um, environmental journalist and he published this article comparing the levels of chromium-6 in Coachella Valley to the federal regulations and we are more than 50% uh, 50 times what federal government is regulating. So then that started my journey. Now I go to city water quality report because it's mandatory for the water agencies or the water boards to publish this um, reports, water quality reports and make it public. Not all of them talk about this chromium-6. They do general chromium. I don't want to name the companies, but look, go look, go to your city water agency website and look for the quality report and see what they're talking about chromium, whether they're generalizing it as chromium or they're doing research on or testing on chromium-3 and chromium-6 because it's federally mandated. Right. It makes me wonder, you know, you see stories in places. It's It's not a problem that we have here. But I've seen, you know, people, they get to a point where they wake up one day and maybe they light a cigarette or they're, you know, heating some water on the stove and the water spills. And instead of um, just spilling, uh, they notice that their water has caught on fire Mm -hmm. and they're going, oh, my goodness, how is my water flammable? What is in that? What are they doing in my water? Right. How do we get to that point? How did these people become so neglected. There are definitely pieces of land that are not regulated as well as other locations. And especially if the communities are socially economically challenged, then there's definitely even less regulation. So when we were doing one of our testings out in the Salton Sea, one of our partners has um, his own private property out there. It's in a little RV spot. And so we tested his soil. And when we tested it, it turns out the amended location had higher levels of arsenic, lead, and chromium than the unamended. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that was really significantly different was that he was continuously using water to amend that soil along with the chicken manure that he had that he was composting. Mm -hmm. And the chicken manure isn't going to give you high levels of chromium or arsenic or lead. So we are led to believe that it is the water. And when we did some more research, it turns out some pieces of land are regulated by different organizations like federal laws in some lands and then there's state laws in other lands. And it's not all the same. They're not all regulated by the same people. Mm -hmm. And so you have highly different water levels of different types of metals going on. And that's actually pretty bad because when you, when we did some more research, there was an RV park. The RV park ended up having to get shut down because their well was contaminated with high numbers of lead and arsenic. Mm. And we do know that in our well water, there was chromium. Getting back to what you were saying about 
the runoff from farms and agriculture. I know while the sea has fallen victim to overpollution from chemical fertilizers and other pollutants from nearby agriculture, runoff from poultry farms, mostly because there's a lot of estrogen being pumped into the poultry and then it goes directly into our waterways. Mm. And it's causing all sorts of hormonal imbalances which is exhibited mostly through the wildlife and creatures that are showing um, female traits, which would otherwise be considered male due to overconsumption of estrogen present in the water in which they live, such as frogs and fish. All of these waterways are part of the water cycle and how our water is replenished. So hormones or levels of estrogen, things like that, is that also found in the Salton Sea? The Salton Sea is a huge Pacific flyover stop for migrating birds. And there's definitely a huge decline in birds that are out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the birds that used to be there by the thousands were pelicans. Mm -hmm. And we would have inland pelicans that would stop there on the regular. But now if you go out there, you'd be lucky to even find one or even spot a couple. And this is just within the last 10 years. I mean, it's a huge decline from going to thousands to just having a couple hundred come over and stop now. Mm. And a lot of people who come, who fly actually from very many, from far distant places, like, you know, bird watchers, Mm -hmm. like to come and visit and go to the Salton Sea because we have such a huge variety of migrant birds that stop there, especially during the wintertime. But now it's becoming less and less and we're seeing a huge decline in the native species and in the migrant birds that used to be there. Okay, so um, I want to talk about something more positive now because we're giving <laughs> a lot of this, you know, neg- really bleak, uh, negative looking, right? And so um, we have processes of purification. Yes. So I know mostly reverse osmosis, and um, one of the one of the people I like to watch. Even though he passed away a while back, his name was Huel Hauser, and he used to do the California's Gold series. And he loved to talk with people about California's water. Mm-hmm. And you can still find it. If you go on YouTube and you Google Huel Hauser talking about the water, he takes you on these tours of the purification places. So I know that's one way. And then we also have distillation that falls under all the realm of the big number we talked about how bottled water is like 300 ah, billion dollar industry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so knowing the difference of spring water or you know glacier water or natural mineral water read the contents because even on a plastic water bottle you can see the source of water some mm-hmm. of them come comes out of a facility it's like purified water everybody thinks like purified water is the best water well you don't know if that water came out of a well that's contaminated and how good is that purification process i get this salesman's coming and trying to tell me a water softener system or a water purification process. Mm -hmm. And they don't know anything about our water quality at all. Maybe the water that's coming out of Palm Springs Water District or Water Agency is completely different from that's coming out of East Coachella Valley or Indio Water Agency. Every medical equipment is supposed to use distilled water. People Mm -hmm. don't understand the basic distillation process. Infants, infants also need right distilled water. Yeah, at a certain age, like you can't just put your 
tap water if you are cleaning your nose or ears for your kids like infants or if you are a person who has some respiratory issues if you are using a humidifier or a CPAP machine or anything like that that you put water into it you need distilled water if mm-hmm. you're putting tap water you don't know it has chlorine in there obviously it might have fluoride in there and it has some heavy metals in there that kind of settles at the bottom of your mission and causes more problems i can detect a difference in taste yes between dasani arrowhead crystal geyser in my opinion of the three crystal geyser probably tastes the best i still know that most of my family are saving money just by using like some type of a carbon filter such as a brita filter Mm -hmm. or brita faucet that's how they're just basically taking their tap water and purifying it at home aside from trying to boil it and my grandmother who used to be sent to go get the water when she was a little girl in her big coffee can when she got older she started um, boiling her mm-hmm. water as a means of purifying it. So then we also, of course, have this very expensive process of desalinization. The ocean, of course, as well. We live far from the ocean, so it seems like we it's kind of out of sight and out of mind. But it has all of its pollutants. For example, we know microplastics, which in episode three we talked about um, in our episode on plastics. But we know this is also a major problem as well as oil spills and uh, other concerns for our world oceans. And we would not be able to live. Humanity would not uh, be in existence if it weren't for the oceans. Um, But somehow nearly all of our sewage, laundry, and every form of wastewater is basically uh, ending up somehow, untreated or not, arriving at this final destination of the world's oceans. And I'm wondering, why, why is that? Why does it need to be routed to the oceans? Since we are on the topic, I, I would recommend like people to look into something called a gray water system. All you got to do is like change your laundry detergent to something that's biodegradable. Don't go for Tide or anything. Voyasis is a really good brand. Ecos is a good brand that's made with plant material. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you wash your clothes with those things, you can divert that into your garden. So you're recycling right. that water. You're repurposing that water. Desalinization, well millions of dollars so let's say mm-hmm. somebody started it doing it what's going to happen after a while already we are seeing depth of coral reefs acidification is happening algae brooms all those things we need to more think about at an individual level what we can do if we plant more trees we will make more rain indigenous people gathering together during the monsoon reason lighting that fire which can take seeds into the air and that fire the smoke coming out of it can promote that um, you know, cloud formation and the particles that's going out into the air kind of start making their own way and they're attracting rain with oh, I never knew that. I never yeah. knew that that's part of what they're trying to do. Yeah, so all the all the wood they are using in that uh, ritual is not something they're just picking randomly. They're mm-hmm. picking selected varieties which can help more with the rain. So they're actually dancing to call the rain. Wow. So I know with my own front yard, the city helped me pay for a water conversion. And so I decided to replace it with 
rock. And I know that's maybe that's not even the best option because mm-hmm. the rock is expensive. And you were saying something about wood chips instead. You know, that's yes. probably even better. That's what I did. Just put a layer of cardboard and then put a thick layer of mulch. That mm-hmm. mulch is going to hold the water so you don't have to water your garden as many times as you need to. And you have rocks. Mm-hmm. And if there is a mm-hmm. wind blowing and if you go out, you will feel the heat because there is more yes, heat coming out of true. those. Mm-hmm. If I go out into my front yard, I feel it a little cooler because whatever the humidity is in the air, you know, it's winter and it's more humid. My wood chips are holding on to that. So another thing I know here in the desert, especially because we go in, in, in all of Southern California, we suffer such severe seasons of drought one thing that I do you know just little thoughts of being conscientious when you're brushing your teeth Mm -hmm. there's people that will leave the faucet running the entire time there's absolutely for for what you know it's just to to hear the water going down the drain basically that's terrible you know I have tried to implement at home also uh, some systems where I have a bucket Mm. and I turn on the shower and I try to catch all the water that comes out at first it's cold into the bucket and by the time the bucket is full the water is warm so then you can take that bucket and use it to water plants you can use it for all all sorts of different things Um, and that's a great way to conserve and then liquid soap that's the first thing when I'm washing my hands you start with liquid soap Mm -hmm. it's wet you don't have to turn the water on and get your hands wet first unless you, you know if you're using a bar of soap obviously yes but once that's a little bit wet, then you can turn the water off. You don't have to have the water running the entire time you're washing your hands either. So my process is first, you know, liquid soap, then turn the water, and and then you're just basically rinsing off this foam, you know. But if we can just kind of think conservatively every time we go near the faucet, the garden hose, every little bit of, of that is going to contribute, especially when we're going through such severe drought. Leaks are actually a huge water loss for. Right. Oh my goodness. They're actually because a lot of times small leaks are undetected. On average, households lose nearly 10,000 gallons of water is wasted every year because leaks are undetected. It might just be a small, like one drip here, one drip there. So that's the front hose. Let's say you have a back hose. Let's say there's a tiny leak in your shower that, you know, you can't, you turned it as close as you can, but it's just just a persistent Mm -hmm. leak. You're not really going to do anything about it because it's not causing Causing any damage. damage. Right. I want to mention also organizations that you can support if you want to help to clean up the ocean and protect the ocean, such as Surfrider, Free the Ocean, Oceana, Greenpeace, Earth Justice, just to mention a few. Um, And again, as Professor Leuschner said, uh, make sure that you sign petitions Mm -hmm. and write to your legislators, your senators, um, because that is where the laws are going to be passed, the Clean Water Act and all the legalities that apply to hold some type of accountability, like you said, especially for people who are in areas where they're being neglected and ignored. We need to continue to hold the polluters accountable. They're just going to continue to act on behalf of their own current concerns and annual profit goals for their companies. 
which is not wise if we want to remain to have our water sustainable for our future. The Sunny Bono Wildlife Refuge has been a great partner to us for letting us be able to do testing on their sites, getting information from them. There's mm-hmm. actually a lot of conservancies along the beach, like for example, Crystal Cove Conservancy is one, and it's a state park, but it also has a conservancy on it. And we like to do beach cleanups. Like my family, my kids and I like to go once or twice a year and we go to annual beach cleanups because we know that we visit the beach, but it's always, I don't know, it's a naturalist way of thinking, but Mm -hmm. we always like to leave a place better than when we arrived. So, you know, making sure you pack it in, pack it out kind of thing. Right. And then just helping out those organizations that promote those kinds of activities is fantastic this has been for future thank you so much for joining us i want to thank again our very very special guest yasuko smith for being here today and if you enjoyed what you listened to please give us a comment on our social media via codroadrunnerradio.com thank you thank you